you might address a person who has shamed you for your whole life and you have to express your truth to them and know that inside of yourself, you're strong enough to do it. You're safe enough to do it (laughs) and you're worth doing it. Hello, my friend, welcome back. If you are new here, I'm Joanne Chan, your host of the podcast Find Joy with Joanne. Thank you for joining us every week for the most authentic, courageous, and powerful connections with a lot of fun. Thank you for showing up for yourself today to continue to learn and grow, to live a life with joy, passion, purpose, and success in your own style on your own terms. And today's guest, is an expert in women's empowerment and corporate cultural branding and a leadership cultivator. She was a Minnesota Teacher of the Year in 2015 and holds a master's degree in educational leadership specializing in organizational systems change. She has earned a diplomat and instructorship in bioconnective science with a specialty in corporate mission and region development to inform employees' training, workplace wellness, and business innovation. She is also a member of the International Society of Female Professionals. With her experience in curriculum design and instruction, she ensures a humanistic approach to each framework that she designs for students' and clients' development and empowerment. So guys and girls, help me welcome the passionate and empowered Samantha Lewis. Samantha, welcome to the show. I'm so glad to be connected with you. I'm so happy that you are here today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here and very excited to see what comes of our conversation, especially around what we do for girls and women in the world. Yes, absolutely. I'm so excited because of what you do. And so tell me more about, tell me and my listeners, you know, more about yourself, who is Samantha and why are you so passionate about empowering young women in leadership? Yeah, I call myself a leadership cultivator. And a lot of that comes from my roots. I grew up on a farm in western Minnesota, about two hours west of St. Paul, Minneapolis, Minnesota in the US. And I grew up with a mom who was a principal and superintendent of a public school. And I watched her do things that in a small rural community, Um, women weren't supposed to do, women shouldn't be doing. And so I had this model growing up my whole life of what women could be and how they could lead um, with authenticity, with respect for the community and the people they wanted to serve. And um, when I started my own adult journey, I kind of had this romanticized idea of leadership, like it could just be that easy. And there's so much attributed to leaders and what they can or can't do. And I experienced the opposite at the beginning of my journey where there was sabotage, there was betrayal, there was abandonment and the disillusionment of what leadership could be, but also almost this, um, a betrayal of what it meant to become a woman and being in a space Um, where I started traveling internationally, seeing that it wasn't just where I lived and where I grew up, but seeing that girls and women all over the world are expected to be someone other than who they really are born to be most of the time. So when I talk about leadership, it's really how do we as girls and women, men too, but I really focus on girls and women, how do we get regrounded in our roots? How do we take the best parts of our heritage and culture and keep them with us, but let go of things that don't serve us and basically rewrite these unwritten rules in our lives that are holding us back, keeping us shackled and not letting us thrive at the end of the day? Okay. I have so many questions, but what I want to ask next is what is the, what is one rule that you'd see is like so obvious in society today that is keeping women small? Oh man, 
I think that the, I mean, objectification of women, like a woman can only be an object to look at. A woman can only be an object to play with. A woman can be used to leverage a certain message for whatever role she might be promoted into. So I think objectification, not just for the sexual aspect, but using women to move ahead instead of you um, not using a woman at all, right? Like how do you actually just empower a female instead of having a personal agenda, having some hidden agenda and seeing women as more than just something pretty and beautiful, something as a way to get into a new community or a new marketplace that you haven't been in before. So I think it's all those old stereotypical, like women can only be good for looks, <laughs> for emotions, for coddling, for jobs that no one else wants to do, um, and and never never actually empowering by acknowledging the power within women, the elegance and the strength, right? You can be gentle, but you can still be fierce. And you can be creative and empathetic, but still be so smart and innovative. So I think what keeps girls and women small, again, is those unwritten rules, those things that um, like you walk into a community space or a professional space and it's the things that you feel more than it is the things that you would read in a policy or the things that you would even necessarily hear a person say. Okay, so how then as women, how do we overcome those stereotypes? Yeah, I think there are so many, so many obstacles that stand in the way. And in the last few years, of wondering that same question myself, I think one of the biggest things that, one of the biggest answers that I've come to and I keep coming back to is women getting over control and women getting over um, like the anger, right? Because it's how the world has been forever that women are always lesser and women are always supposed to wait. Women are always second. Um, so it's developing new networks where women support each other and women are allowed to grow and develop based on models for women, not based on models that have been designed for men in the past. Um, and I think of a quote that I heard a woman say in a, a group that I was part of recently that women eat their own. Right. So if, if a woman, a new woman emerging into leadership shows up in a room that's full of men and one other woman, does that one other woman in the room pull up a chair and say, come and sit by me? Or does she glare over like I figured my way through this, your turn to do the same, you know? So I think there's so many conversations about how to do it. Um, but from from my own research, from my own experience, um, when women are willing to gather and have conversations that move beyond victimization <laughs> and that move beyond um, like the generational gaps where older women think they need to become a motherly figure or the matron of younger women, I think all of those things need to be overcome. And, and sometimes women are the biggest obstacle to other women becoming empowered, which sounds crazy. Um, so I think there's a lot that has to be done with men understanding the process too. But to some extent, I think it starts with us. Okay, what can you go back and explain to us? Like, what do you mean by saying sometimes women are the ones standing in the way, you know, are actually our own obstacles um, in women empowerment? What do you mean by that? Yeah, I mean that. Like, can you give some example? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I think a lot about. Um, I do groups, or imagine if you're out networking somewhere. Um, as an emerging leader, you're a younger woman, or maybe even a girl, 
and you're introduced to women who are experienced, who are veteran in the space that you're entering into. And you share a bit about what you do. And perhaps instead of encouraging and admiring what you do, they give feedback and suggestions about how it should be different. Right? So instead of authentically listening and asking questions to learn more, the immediate response is to tell you how it needs to be fixed. Right? If you enter maybe a corporate setting as a young woman who wants to become a leader at the executive or C-suite level, um, a lot of times because there aren't very many women there, you get a male mentor. But if you happen to get a female mentor, um, how often do you get advice that's about being authentic, being courageous, or it's more likely that you're going to get fear-based advice, right? If you're going to prepare for a board presentation tomorrow, you shouldn't wear those shoes or you shouldn't wear that certain outfit because you might get looked at a certain way or it might be assumed that you're trying to show something of yourself rather than demonstrate and display your expertise, right? So a lot of fear that comes out. I think it comes out as a means to protect the next generation um, or as a means to try to help younger women not have to face the same obstacles um, and not have to go through the same pain and the same fight that they've all felt. Uh, but at the same time, then it ends up being a huge roadblock to get to where you really want to go, almost as if to say the pain and the fight isn't worth it don't even try. This is, there's too much fear here for you to do it. Yeah, it's almost as if women are telling other women what they should do or shouldn't do, right? right. Yeah. Yeah, it's so interesting. Thank you for sharing that. And uh, one of my favorite ideas that you talk about is demasculinizing women in leadership. Mm-hmm. And what does it mean to you? And why do you think it's so important in leadership? Like, yeah. Yeah. Well, first of all, just in think about in training, again, because there are so many men already in leadership roles, most training programs are based off of male dominant strategies. So it's more about being competitive instead of collaborative, more about setting really linear or um, like mechanistic kind of strategy instead of more intuitive, human-based ecosystems, right? So just the way that the male and female brains work differently, um, every human, of course, is different, but there is research that says men and women think differently. We process differently. Um, Roles, historically, that we've had also determine the way that we should or shouldn't show up emotionally in a space, Um, Even to the point where in a lot of corporate settings, the environment, the decor is more masculine, right? There's not as much femininity put into it. Um, Clothing that's designed for professionals (laughs) tends to be much more masculinized. It's changing, but it still is that way. Um, So from all of these different aspects of culture, which includes aesthetics and wellness and and the collective belief of what is good or not good, um, that's where we start, right? That's where we have to start looking at it and um, understanding what's being imposed (laughs) and where we can start to remove some of those rules. So how do we demasculinize women? We start to look at definitions and collective beliefs around what it means to be a woman what is femininity and what are the what are some of the stereotypes that even we as women want to get rid of right like when I talk to other women about this femininity is always seen as like a weakness right or womanhood means something like you have to be a mother and none of those things are exclusive to that kind of definition, because each of us has our own experience as a woman. So it's up to each of us then to see inside of us, how how have we been pushed to be more like men if we want to lead? And how does even our vision of leadership 
right? If you say the word leader, do you instantly assume you have to be the CEO of a huge company? Or could you perhaps be the volunteer at a local nonprofit? Or could you simply be a woman who's leading a healthy life, putting herself out into the world to make a contribution and make a difference simply by being herself, right? So even our definition of what a leader is and our definition or perception of womanhood, all of those things are are tainted and informed by our culture and a lot of times by masculine definitions. Right. So what are some of the skills that we as women, let's say if you want to take our leadership roles in a corporate, you know, in a company or in the organizations, for example, what are some of the skills that we need to develop as a woman um, in order to become a leader, in order to lead others? Mm, yeah. Like what do you think is important? Yeah. I think that's a wonderful question. And immediately I think of self-esteem and, um, in the model of biocognitive science, um, the model of self-esteem is taught in three pillars, right? So in biocognition, we're looking at how does culture influence the way that we think? How do those thoughts influence the way that our body responds? And then what do we do to change it, (laughs) right? So in biocognition, self-esteem is broken into these three pillars. So first we work on self-valuation. How do I, how worthy do I think I am of success, of love, of prosperity? So that's pillar number one. What's my evaluation? Number two is all about competence. How much do I know? What skills do I bring to the table? And then pillar number three is all about affiliation. So it's your network. And For women, most of the time, competence is through the roof. (laughs) We don't take jobs unless we think we know every skill that we have to have. Um, We don't take a job unless we think we know every connection point we need to have, um, every strategy that we could have for visioning into the future and innovation, right? So that one's usually pretty solid. But where women then tend to, to get left behind or leave themselves behind is with valuation. So the first step whenever I work with girls or women is self-valuation because it's the most painful. It's the area that we tend to suppress and neglect the most because it hurts the most. Right. So if you don't think that your creativity is good enough to share in that space, if you don't think that your voice is the right demeanor, <laughs> the right volume, the right tone, because you might get called or you have been called something in the past, um, all of those things, if your body's not the right type, if you don't dress the right way, you don't come from the right background, any of those things, just how much do you actually value yourself enough to chase your dreams? How worthy are you of experiencing that inherent abundance of success in your life? So that's always the first place that I start is self-valuation. Competence, like I said, for women is usually pretty easy (laughs) because we are competitive inside. We want to know when we want to be able to do the best. And then affiliation is where we start to look at what's the quality of our network instead of what's the size. So a lot of times it, you know, like the saying, it's more who you know than what you know. But at the same time, if the who you know isn't the right person, um, the person that's going to have your back, the person that's actually going to be there when you need support, when you need advice, um, then it's not the right affiliation. It's not the right network, right? So I, those are the places that I always think about first because everything else falls into place. If you have valuation, automatically your courage can increase. If you have the affiliation or the network of people, then you have the platform to be connected, to expand and stretch. And then of course, with the competence, you have the skills to make new things happen, to create hybrid models, to create powerful strategies, or just simple strategies, 
um, yeah, I think self-esteem for women is the place to start. If you're worth taking care of yourself, if you're worth going into that stuff, you're going to succeed and you're going to flourish. So now I want to go back to your story. So when you were young, when you were just a little girl, did you always know that you want to lead, you want to, you know, become empowered one day, you want to break free from your background, from your past, from where you come from? Did you always felt that when you were young or it was developed later as you, you know, grow older or when you um, experience more, you know, things in your life or meet new people or connect with people or learn more about yourself? Like how, how did it happen for you? Like, okay, let me reframe the, the question. It's okay. Were you a young girl who always, you know, wanted to lead or aspire to be a leader when you grew up? When I was a little kid, um, <laughs> I didn't ever think about like wanting to lead. But when I reflect back on childhood right now, I always fell into that role, like with friend groups or um, whatever it might be. I always happened to end up being the person that others followed or that others listened to and trusted. Like that was always the big thing. If someone wanted to say something, they'd say it to me, trusting me. So there, I, I grew up with this sense of like I could listen really, really well. I could earn people's trust because I didn't go tell their secrets to other people. And I think it was probably in high school when I started traveling without my parents that I started to see, you know, the world is so big. It's such a beautiful place. Um, When I'm not in the space where everybody in the world thinks that they know who I am, or I'm not in a space where everyone's trying to tell me who I should be, there's that anonymity where I can become myself. I can get to know myself without those pressures and without those forces. So I think to answer the question, no, I didn't know that I was going to be a leader or that I even wanted to be one. But as I started to experience what it felt like to be trusted And when I experienced what it was like to know myself and in settings where I couldn't be myself, it felt like I was suffocating, you know, that that feeling of like, I can't express myself in this room because I'll get hurt. I won't be heard. They don't understand me. And it's like the cage closes in (laughs) and the pressure inside just gets so big. So I think it was those experiences of realizing that the world doesn't always want you to be who you really are because it might be too big and too bold and too creative and it might change what makes their life so comfortable, which is complacency and status quo, right? So I think when I started to pick up on that stuff, that's when I really really decided inside of me like this is a commitment that I'll make and it's a responsibility not just to myself but a responsibility for me to girls in the next generation like whoever's following me I would like them to have a different experience growing up than I did even though I have a wonderful story I had a great childhood but I want I want girls in the next generation and young women that are coming after me um, not to have to face what I faced sometimes, but I'm not going to do it by instilling fear in them, right? I'm going to empower them with tools they need to navigate the terrain and understand that adversity will come because this is life. (laughs) Leadership and living your true best self doesn't come easily. There's a little work to do. When you get there, it's magical. But standing up on your two feet to say, this is who I am and this is what I'm going to do, that's not always super easy. <laughs> yeah, you, you reminded me of a quote that I shared, I think last night or a few days ago on my Instagram that says, when you let go of who you think you are supposed to be, or when you let go of who you were told you are supposed to be, then you can be who you truly are. So 
from what I heard from your story, the way you tell your story is that, you know, you didn't really know that you wanted to be a leader. You didn't even know who you are until, because you've always been told that this is who you are, right? You know, um, mm-hmm. and until you, you, you go outside and see the world and be like, oh my God, I'm not this Samantha that I used to be, you know, then who am I? Like, who do I want to be? Right? You, you get to choose, you get to create your own identity and then you will start living, start showing up as her, right? Once you decide that, okay, this is who I am and this is what, what I came here to do, then you will start showing up as her. So that's what really, to me, is empowerment, like what self-empowerment really is. It's like really know who you are and start showing up as her because you already her, you you already that person, you know, the, um, one of the things that I tell my, the people that I work with is that, you know, your best self, your, the, the ideal version of yourself, the person that you want to become, you already her, right? You are already the person. You just need to start showing up as her, right? You just need the right tools that what you said, because the person is already inside yourself. So yeah, I mean, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, you talk a lot about girlhood and womanhood. What are some of the challenges that you think that we face from, you know, girlhood to womanhood and how do we overcome them based on your own experiences, based on, you know, your clients' experiences? That's a really, really good question. And I I think that that transition point from girlhood to womanhood, that's the trap or that's the opportunity to fall between the gaps where people... um, People are assuming like a teenage girl is a teenage girl, right? Just like a boy, a teenage boy is a teenage boy and they're all going through this state of confusion and they don't know who they are. But like to, like what you just said, we do know who we are. We, we do have that identity inside of us and that personal truth that we want to share, we want to explore. But I think when you go from girlhood into teenhood, those teen years are so important. If you don't have that one person as an adult that you can trust, who's going to encourage you to really, really explore your inner, your inner world. If you don't have um, that friend group, even if it's just one friend, like who's one person in your life (laughs) that is going to say, just please unapologetically be yourself. Because otherwise, in in teen in those teenage years, right, that's when the the peer pressure gets to be the worst. That's when we feel the most awkward, because physically, like we can see the differences as we're changing, um, and and I think being able to visibly see how we change and develop at such a different rate, it makes those questions and emotions inside of us feel even bigger because when we get to adulthood like we're all adults we're done physically growing for the most part and then it's just like what am I doing with my life I am I in the right place unless in teenhood you had the opportunity to start having those questions and um to start understanding like when you feel tension in your muscles when you feel your shoulders start to come forward Like, what does that mean? What are you feeling? What did that feeling come from? Well, it came from something someone said to me. It came from a look I got from somebody. It came from an image I saw in a magazine. (laughs) It came from a post I saw on TikTok, right? And, And what is it doing inside of me? It's making me feel ashamed of myself. It's making me feel like I shouldn't be true to who I am or I won't fit in. So I think the teen years are so, so important and powerful. Um, and that's that's when we can start giving girls the opportunity to understand what real life as an adult is going to be like as a true authentic to yourself person or like as the chameleon. You know, what's life really going to be like if you keep changing to please and appease other people? As opposed to how joyful and refreshing life can be if the world just knows who you are right off the bat. Because you know who you are. 
Okay, then I, I'm sure some women will say, you know, tell you, Samantha, I don't really know who am I anymore. You know, it's like, I, I'm, I'm a mom, I'm a daughter, I'm a sister, I am a, a, you know, a businesswoman. I have so many different identities. I have so many different roles, so many responsibilities. I don't even know who am I anymore. So what are some of your, I'm sure you, you are familiar with what I just said. Um, I hear it from a lot of women and like, so a lot of women, even though they are adult, like what you said, or they are in their 30s or 40s, they are losing themselves again, like all again, right? Why do you think that happened? And how can we prevent that from happening? How can they find themselves again? I think in order to find yourself, you have to develop the skills to go inside of yourself. And... I think for women, especially because I hear so many women say, um, I have more jobs and more roles than my husband. I don't have time to do that. So it's always time. Right. And the issues of like, if I have a a full-time job, when I get home, I have another full-time job to be a wife. I have another full-time job to be a mother, another full-time job to help out Uh, at a community organization that I support. (laughs) And then the list keeps going and going and going, not to mention uh, other like extended family pressures or friend expectations. And then if we consider women who don't have a partner in life, then everything's even exponentially more difficult, especially if they're a parent right? Because then the responsibilities fall exclusively on her shoulders. So what do we do next? (laughs) I think, again, we go back to the whole self-valuation thing. Because if we can set up those parameters and boundaries around us that say, I have so much of myself to give only I have to pull back once in a while to give to myself, right? I have to fill my own cup up in order to keep giving to everybody else's cup. And I think women get to a point where their cup is empty, (laughs) their cup starts to get rusty and holes develop in it. And then eventually, instead of like this big, like big, beautiful cup they have like a little tiny paper dixie cup sitting in their hand with water coming out of it right and that's the journey of giving to everybody else because that's what's expected of women everywhere in the world right the the archetypes that you mentioned of sister mother caregiver partner whatever it might be i think that behind each of those archetypes is the assumption of women putting themselves last, sacrificing their own personal needs to fulfill the needs of whoever else might stand in front of them and cry a little bit. And then by not setting those boundaries, (laughs) something that doesn't really matter all of a sudden seems like a huge emergency. And, And by not taking care of ourselves, we teach the world around us that they don't have to take care of us either. And not even take care of us, but respect us, right? Like to say, I had a really stressful day. Um, I'm a nurse and I had two patients die today. But you get home and you can't let go of that. You have to just push it down. Or you're an executive who had to fire someone that was doing something horrible in your company. Like whatever it might be, I think women don't get the chance to process And processing doesn't mean drinking together and complaining. (laughs) I mean, it feels good in the moment, perhaps, but that's not really letting go, right? That's lamenting. And that actually is harder on our bodies. (laughs) So it's that valuation piece again. How do you how do you get back to a point where you can establish boundaries and, and limits with other people so you have time to go inward? and really get to know yourself again. Right, that's very interesting. Um, how do we process our emotions? Because 
like you said, you know, it's not about drinking, it's not about partying, it's not about suppressing the emotions. I mean, that's what we know, right? That's what we see. Everyone's everyone's doing that. Um, how do we process our emotion? Because it's really personally to me as well, it's also quite a challenge. Mm-hmm. Although I know like intellectually I have to let go, I have to release, I have to embrace the emotion, but emotionally it's still a lot yeah. harder yeah. to really do it. So what is all your advice or how do you personally tackle this challenge as a woman? Like how do we really embrace emotion and process it? Like do we feel it? Do we talk it out? Do we journal or do we meditate? Like what are some of your approach? Yeah, I I think there are so many different ways. And during life, that's one of our challenges is to do exactly what you just asked. How do we process our emotions? I think some methods are more effective than others, but I think as women, um, as a human, you just have to go through this range of finding what fits you the best. Um, and I, I, in high school actually came across yin yoga, like as an opportunity to do restorative work on myself. I had no clue what I was doing. A, A couple of teachers asked me if I wanted to go with them to a class And I was like, yep, sure, sounds good. So we went. And by the end of class, when we were laying in corpse pose uh, after our final meditation, I was out. And we got in the vehicle to drive home after class. And I thought to myself, I don't know what I just experienced. I have no clue where I went for the last two hours. But this must be something. Like, this must be something I need badly otherwise my body wouldn't have responded this way so since then for my journey at least it's been finding all kinds of different contemplative practices and not just saying I've got this one thing I do and that's the only solution for me and every other human on earth (laughs) right so what do you need at the moment first of all what are you noticing like if you close your eyes and take a breath (laughs) Scan from the top of your head down to your feet. What are you noticing? Where do you have tension? Where do you feel heat? Where do you feel discomfort? Because your body is talking to you 24-7. So identify what's going on inside of you. Your body is talking to you and it's telling you about emotions that you're not picking up on. Right? And from that point, you have to decide what you want to do with it. And that's where you choose the method. Do you want to do some physical movement? Do you want to dance? Do you want to do yoga? Do you want to swim? Like movement moves the emotion in our bodies, right? So what kind of movement do you want in your life? And then to be still, what kind of introspection or contemplation do you want? Maybe it's meditation. Maybe it's some kind of prayer. But it's got to be a process that allows you to make a decision about what you're gonna do with that feeling. So if you're feeling tension in your stomach and you identify it as a lack of safety at work because you have an imposing micromanaging boss, (laughs) go into it, see how intense it really is and then make a choice. Do you wanna keep feeling that feeling? (laughs) Or are you gonna start speaking up reclaiming your agency and power and telling that person to back off or leave how are you going to resolve it so that's my that's my take on it you choose the process you want but somehow it's the agency piece identify what's going on and then make a decision what do you want to do with it right i think ultimately it all comes down to making a decision for yourself by yourself I mean what do you need right now what do you want to do next I mean what does it mean for me right now like what is this emotion trying to tell me what is it teaching me right what is it that I need to know that perhaps I didn't notice before right so many so often I see so many people they are stuck in their stories in their you know victimhood um, or in their old identity you know how do you I know this is a, a huge part of your work as well. How do you encourage people to share 
their painful stories or turn their painful stories into power and you know to create action like what you just said but not stimulating emotion and you know confusion which often keep them stuck like I said in their victimhood in their uh, victim mindset or their painful stories like how do you encourage people to step out and really own their stories own their power and speak their truth yeah first I use like I mentioned biocognition earlier that's the framework that I prefer to teach from because it's everything about neuropsychology it's about psychoneuroimmunology so understanding how thoughts and and mind co-emerge based on what's happening around us but it also brings in anthropology and that's where I think what you're asking about that's what I think is so powerful about this model is that we can do a lot of storytelling but it doesn't always have to be outward in public right so the the most important part of the meditative piece of biocognition is that we take ourselves to what we call the theater of change. And when we go to the theater of change, we go in as the person that we are right now in this moment. So you have to be mindful, you have to be in the present, you have to be observant of yourself, and then you bring up scenarios. You bring up a scenario of shame from the past. You pay attention to what's going on in the body Even though you're doing an intellectual process, you have to be cognizant of the body, right? And then as that's coming up, as that's surfacing, we bring in an antidote to heal it. So if you're thinking about a shameful or a shaming experience in your life that's blocking you from moving forward or that's keeping you in that cycle, then you bring in the antidote. So the antidote for shame is honor, So in this theater, you're not saying it out loud, you're doing this all inside of yourself, right? You might address a person who has shamed you for your whole life and you have to express your truth to them and know that inside of yourself, you're strong enough to do it, you're safe enough to do it (laughs) and you're worth doing it. And by expressing that honor for yourself, the body physiologically starts to let go of inflammation. It starts to regulate your heart rate. It starts to lower your blood pressure. Like all these things start happening physiologically inside of you, but you're also releasing those emotional cycles and the stories and the narrative that says, no, I'm not good enough. Yes, I am that bad. (laughs) No, I'm not pretty enough. No, I'm not smart enough. I don't deserve this. I'm that person, not who I think I should be, right? Or I'm not safe enough to be who I want to be in the world. So you start to disembody what everyone has been telling you or the wounds that have imposed those cycles and and pushed them inside of you. And you bring in the healing antidote that frees you from it. Right. When you mentioned I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy enough, you know, I want to ask you my, perhaps it's, you know, my, my last question before we move on to the next session. It's so, it happens, you know, this I'm not good enough, this self-talk, it shows up almost every day. I'm not sure about men because I'm not men, but I know as women, I hear it all the time. I still hear it now, you know, once in a while, although I'm a coach, I'm, you know, helping other women, but I still hear it. So to you, when you hear the words of I'm not good enough, I'm sure you also have that little noise in your head sometimes, right? How do you deal with it? Because I know this is going to help a lot of women because it's really, the, you know, the negative self-talk that is really like holding us back, that keeping us small. Like how do you deal with that negative self-talk in your mind? How do you quiet that? Yeah, I think this one is the hardest. So whether you call it negative self-talk or you call it mind pollution, It's another thing that we learned, right? We were taught how to think a certain way by observing important people in our world. And that might be a parent. It might be an older sibling. It might be a teacher or a doctor you had at one point in your life. Could be someone you don't know, but they're important, like um, a singer or someone that's like an icon in culture, right? So we learned it. 
And the best part about things we've learned is that we can unlearn and learn something new, but it requires changing the neural maps or the processing of the brain, right? So a lot of times we talk about affirmations, which are powerful, but when affirmations are just, are just thought and they're not taken into the body to really change at a deeper level, right? It's that holistic approach. And, and instead of just wishfully thinking away <laughs> whatever we want to get rid of, we actually have to do some deeper work, right? So it requires repetition and depth. So the idea of creating a new habit, rewriting what we say to ourselves, it's not just repeating something day after day, hoping that that's going to change it. That just makes permanence of a different thing, right? So it's how do we take what we want to be different in our lives and then every day go a little bit deeper with it? How do we make it more meaningful each day? How do we make it a felt experience in our body? So I can say... I can close my eyes and say, I'm beautiful, I'm beautiful. But if I'm not paying attention to what's happening in my body and my body is actually rejecting it, then the affirmation or the mantra changing that story isn't really going to do anything. So again, it's back to that process that you just asked about. How do we really shift the cycles? Because that's another cycle. It's just one that we think instead of things that come out as behaviors or subconscious processes we don't really think about right because there are some people they come to me and say joanne you know i've tried affirmations it doesn't work and yeah it doesn't work just like what what you have just you know explained because when you keep saying i'm confident or i'm confident i'm confident your mind at the same time it goes you are not confident stop lying to yourself right <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> because yeah, I mean, you have been telling you are not confident to your mind for ages, for I don't know how many years. Just by hitting a few words for a few days, you think it's going to change anything? No, right? I mean, yeah, <laughs> but I'm sure. Um, I mean, thank you so much. I love this conversation so, so much. And, you know, it has been such empowering conversation and I'm so happy to be connected with you. And thank you for being here today. Yeah, absolutely. I Is there anything that you want to share before we move on to the next session? Um, I would actually love to invite anyone from your audience, um, anyone that you work with to different women's groups that I'm starting, different girls groups. Um, I'm using a couple of different models to help middle school and high school age girls start the process that we're talking about today. So any girls, any teenagers that are interested in what it's like to grow up and how to do it being authentically herself, I would love to have anyone from your audience join my community as well. Sure. Thank you so much. Um, so we are going to end with our final five rapid fire questions. So it's going to be fun. I'm not sure, but I mean, it will be fun. Anyway, so every question has to be answered in one word or one sentence maximum. All right. Okay. <laughs> Are you ready? Yes. Okay. The first question for you is, what is one thing that you wish you knew earlier? Agency. Wow. You're talking about personal power, right? Just in your own word. Yep. Love that. Thank you. Yep. Next question. If you could live your life all over again, what would you do differently? I would travel more on my own by myself. I love that. Okay. I love traveling on alone. Because when you travel alone, you learn so much about yourself, right? You discover a yeah. lot about yourself. All right. I love that. Thank you. What is something you are trying to learn or curious about right now? I'm learning how to develop succinct, powerful voice. Wow. <laughs> I feel like we need to talk about that, but <laughs> let's move on. <laughs> Next question. If you have five minutes and the whole world was listening to you, what would you say? I would talk about authenticity. Mm. Unapologetically be yourself. Right. I love that. 
Okay, I'm gonna extend that question by asking: Do you think do you think authenticity is one of the most important leadership skills that everyone has to develop if they want to be a leader? You have to be authentic first. Yeah, and I've struggled with this myself, right? Because it's easy, like I said before, to be that chameleon, yeah. and depending on who's following, you change to 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 do what they need. So, short answer: Yes. I do think authenticity is step number one, because if you're not living your personal truth, nobody knows who you are. Mm. And then they're not following you. Right. Thank you so much. The last question is, what brings you joy? Wow, that is a good question. What brings me joy? Working with girls. Working with girls to give them voice when they can express themselves, when they can set a limit, when they can say no. That's what brings me joy. Wow, that's so powerful. I mean, thank you so much for doing what you do. It's really, we need you. Like all the girls, all the women in the world, we need more people like you to really stand up and help us, you know, to deliver their voice and empower them. Thank you so much. And thank you for taking your time out today. Uh, I'm sure a lot of girls and women, they want to get to know you more. I know you briefly mentioned about your community. So can you tell us like, where can people join your community? Where can people find you or connect with you? Yeah, right now, the best place to go is my website, which is samanthalouise.co. And from there, you can find my TikTok, my YouTube, my Instagram. Um, But that's where I host my communities. And that's where I'm trying to create space for girls and women all right all right guys i hope you love this episode go follow samanda go to her website join her community connect with her and check out all the amazing things that she's doing and if you're not following me follow me at join.chan and if you haven't subscribed yet hit the subscribe button so you never miss another episode and i will always leave you the same way as i leave you with every other episode show up The world needs you and you need you. Thanks for listening and I wish you all a joyful and amazing day ahead. Hey guys, I hope you love this episode. If you love this episode, take a screenshot of this and share it on your IG stories and tell me what is your biggest takeaway. Remember to tag me at findjoyrejoyant underscore podcast so that we can connect with you. And if you would like to support me personally and support my mission, then please help us rate and review the podcast at Apple Podcasts. I read all of them. And until next time, my friend, show up. The world needs you and you need you. You need the best version of yourself every single day. So always strive to be the best you can be in this present moment. Again, thanks for listening and I will soon be back with another guest in the next episode.